This is Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast for writers and readers by writers and readers. Hello and welcome to Dissecting Dragons. I'm Madeleine Vaughan. And I'm Jules Ironside. This week, devotion, betrayal and misadventure. Queer romance in speculative fiction. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, before we begin this... uh, Little caveat, little uh, little disclaimer. <laughs> I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, this is really just a subsection of a much wider discussion, but we haven't got time for the huge wide discussion. In fact, that would yeah. be a series of episodes. Um, so we're just focusing mostly on this this one thing, um, and I just want to say we we don't intend this to be a, mm. a contentious discussion. Um, I realised that some of the things we're going to broach yeah. can be sensitive subjects. Um, so it may go there, but it's not intentional. We're not setting out to sort of like no. uh, be clickbaity or anything. Um, I'm mm-hmm. also, I personally, and I'm pretty sure Madeline, are not pretending to have any of the answers here. This is just a case of we're positing the questions yeah. and having an honest discussion about them um, in the same way that we don't really like to set writing rules or do's and don'ts. And um, certainly on my part, I can say this is my opinion. And my opinion is a very malleable beast, especially when presented with new information, evidence, facts or other opinions. So basically, if you don't agree with something I've said, tell me, because there's a chance you might change my mind. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I think it's it can be quite difficult because obviously there's only the two of us talking. And for the most part, we agree. We don't always agree, which means that within kind of the the debate... Um, during episodes um, it can feel kind of quite closed off it's not meant to be Um, we are putting forward our opinions we are not saying these should be yours and if you disagree with us um, please don't think we're trying to attack anyone we are always open to new information there is only so much that we can know at any given time Um, and even though we both try to do our research you know um, there might be things that we've misunderstood that we don't know about or that we haven't considered and we are always open to hearing what other people say and have and assure that the few listeners who have kind of been keeping track of us since since the beginning will have noticed that we've changed our opinions with new data as time has gone on Um, it's very important to be able yeah, to absolutely. improve um, and to grow your knowledge. So with that in mind, please uh, please consider this when we get into this subject. We are not trying to push anyone's buttons. We are just positing some questions. Yeah. So basically, this has kind of been bubbling at the back of my mind mm. for a little while, mostly because I've seen a lot of commentary in the bookish and especially the science fiction fantasy bookish mm. community Um, basically stating that any queer romantic relationship or even a queer friendship must always be healthy and unproblematic. Um, And I have thoughts on this, obviously. Um, So uh, it's quite a, as we've said, it's quite a big topic. So we are really just focusing on on the romance side of things. But, you know, you can apply a lot Mm -hmm. of it to the friendship angle. And again, it's opinion. But before we get into it, there's a little bit about sort of something I've noticed with uh, basically queer LGBTQ plus history and science fiction fantasy rep that I think is worth mentioning. 
so um, I'm gonna I'm gonna get into that first. So basically, what? I have been reading a book. Gasp. Again, pause for shocked <laughs> silence. <laughs> it's called Bad Gays: A Homosexual History by Hugh Lemmy and Ben Miller. It's actually a really interesting book. Um, I imagine it's not going to be to everybody's taste uh, for various reasons. But basically, it's still a reclaimed segment of queer history, and it looks at the not-so-admirable mm. LGBTQ plus people of the past. So I'm already on potentially quite contentious ground there, I'm aware, just by by looking at that. Mm -hmm. um, this book only came out about a month ago, and it's endured a bit of criticism already, although quite a lot of people have also come forward and said, mm -hmm. actually, it's really nice to be looked at from this angle as well, yeah. rather than being given a set of standards we're supposed yes. to adhere to, which, by the way, are almost impossible in real life. Um, so I, I, basically, I think the thing is some people want to concentrate on the admirable queer historical figures. Yes. Um, if you're someone who doesn't like the word queer, I apologise, but I kind of use it interchangeably with LGBTQ+, um, because I find it represents yes. me. Um, I am not meaning it as a yes. slur. You know, again, small caveat. Yeah, um, no, but it, it's it's worth, that's worth remembering. Um, and it's the same, I use it as an identifier, um, and also as a as kind of, um, basically, to be more inclusive. Um, but I realise that for some people it is considered to be a slur. We're not using it as a slur in this case. Yeah. So basically many people want to concentrate on admirable gay and queer historical figures and skip over the less admirable. So there is a, it's very noticeable that when people talk about Oscar Wilde, no one really wants to talk about Bosie, for example. Yes. Um, when you talk about Emily Dickinson, a lot of people don't really necessarily want to go into detail about Anne Lister. Anne Lister has become quite famous again recently for, for a variety yeah. of reasons. However, I would say if you actually go and read her diaries, she reads like an 18th century rake. They are, they're a laundry list. They're fascinating, but they are a laundry list of conquests. Yeah. And she kind of attacks life very much like a man of the 1800s um, in sort of like, I, I'm determined to sleep with this pretty girl kind of thing. Yeah, and to be honest, I think a lot of people would not agree with her her other, her political positions and stuff like that either. No, no, she's a terrible snob, at the very least. Yeah. Um, and then people will go for Virginia Woolf over, say, Ronnie Cray. Understandably, Ronnie Cray being a gangster. Yes. <laughs> but because they were not great people doesn't mean they weren't still part of the you know i, I would say the wider queer yes. community yeah absolutely and i i guess i want I, i'm always in a position of i want to see both angles i mean i want to see all the different angles and make an informed um, decision based on that but what it comes down to here is, and I understand this, for a long time people were holding mm -hmm. up these so-called bad gays, you know, inverted commas, and saying this is representative yeah. of being queer, rather than, no, actually, you know, for every Emperor Hadrian you've got someone who is actually a really decent person who doesn't just stamp around <laughs> abusing people. Yeah, They just absolutely. happen to be in that direction, you know? Yeah. And I think also the other big part of it is that for so long, there was absolutely 
no representation at all and the only representation in terms of fiction was so poor were were people who were um you know uh you got a a lot of um uh, you know they were deviants and deviants as in they it wasn't just oh i happen to be gay it was i happen to be gay and also i'm a murderer kind of thing and these two things yeah. are you know part and parcel um I, i'm gay and i'm and but also I, i'm into non-consensual sadism you know things like that uh you know or yeah or uh, or basically yeah. alistair crowley whereby i am bisexual ergo i am extremely deviant anything goes i have started a cult and i practice black magic which a lot of people actually yes. think is worshiping yeah, exactly the devil. um so, and so you had these yeah. <laughs> um it, basically because you had these kind of figureheads of of what what it was to be queer um which was to be uh, malicious usually or to you know to have to, to be deviant etc to be the Alistair Crowley to be um, you know these other nasty kind of characters um, that when people started fighting for representation they wanted positive representation um, and I think that is still something that a lot of people are very aware of is that they don't want the you know that they don't want to be represented by only bad in inverted commas people yeah and i absolutely you know i absolutely agree with that mm -hmm. i do also feel however that when we try to blur the less savory aspects of this you know because so much queer history got erased yes and very deliberately erased during the second world war and you know slightly before that and obviously has done throughout history here and there yeah. Um, I don't want to swear by mentioning the Victorians, but, you know, they had a lot to answer for yes. too. Um, and we're only really getting some of that back. Some of it we'll never get back because it was that thoroughly erased. And I just, I guess I feel that by trying to sort of apply a, a blur filter to the less savoury characters who also share mm. this history... Um, we potentially become part of the problem because, again, it's holding up that set of standards to which queer people must adhere. Otherwise, you don't get to be one. I know, yeah, does, I, does that I kind of make sense? know exactly what you mean. Um, and I also think that what it what it does is it it basically um, it it commodifies the wrong word. Um, but it, it basically creates a greater sense of separation, I think, between heterosexual people, um, and I say heterosexual cisgendered people, because you can be heterosexual and still be queer, um, but non-queer individuals and queer individuals. It creates a, a greater kind of sense of separation, which ultimately we don't want we want equality. We're not quite there yet, but we ultimately want to be, be able to basically say, can we stop treating queer people like they're a different species, like they're separate, um, and start just saying, oh, there are people who happen to be queer. And so there are bad people who happen to be queer, and there are good people who happen to be queer. Um, it's not somehow indicative of their character. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Again, this is this is something that is opinion, and correct me if I'm wrong, but 
one of the issues that's being thrown back at trans people at the moment is that there are trans people like, for example, Jessica Yaniv, who are very, very dicey. Let's let's just say that rather than put out accusations. Mm. But someone who I'm I'm pretty damn convinced is actually a dangerous person who should not be roaming around. That doesn't mean I think all trans people yeah. are or that even a majority are. So she's just one isolated example. But the fact that other people are, you know, we have got, and not necessarily trans people themselves, but people who are kind of, you know, I'm a trans ally, who are turning around and saying, no, you cannot criticise this person, even though she's doing really awful things. Um, That's being used, you know, the fact that you're protecting someone who is absolutely doing bad stuff is actually harming the the overall progression of, of trans rights, in my opinion. I would agree because it's this it's this ludicrous idea that and again creates that sense of separation like uh trans people like queer people are a different species they are not they are just people and as we've yeah. said you can have bad people and when people do bad things they should be called out on it they shouldn't have a uh you know a go free card get out of jail card just because they are trans in the same way that we can argue that um, for a long time historically it was wrong that and it continues to be wrong that a lot of um, uh, white heterosexual people have been able to get that get out of jail free card quite literally Um, but the point is that that is bad regardless of who it is you cannot just basically based on a a particular characteristic that is nothing to do with them as a person and just to do with you know their brain chemistry whatever i I don't who knows what causes people to be queer um or what doesn't i don't i don't know um but that is it's a separate thing it's not it's a it's a feature not the (laughs) not the main event does that make any sense (laughs) yes yeah it does and it's just i i I think we're basically saying the same thing here basically it doesn't really matter what sort of minority you belong to or you know if there are Mm. several that that happen you happen to belong to that does not ever make you above reproach in itself you have to be a person who is above reproach in order to be above reproach. And even then, somebody will probably disagree with you. Yeah, absolutely. Now, if it was a matter of basically saying, no, I disagree with you because you are trans, that is a completely different issue. Yeah. (laughs) That's a whole other kettle of fish. (laughs) However, if it's, I disagree with you because you've murdered three people, but you also happen to be trans... Um, I feel like that's not an issue. I feel feel like if you're a murderer, you know, people have the right to disagree with you. And um, that's an extreme, but it's, it doesn't have to be. It's in the same way that, um, okay, for example, uh, uh, is it Kylie Jenner? Um, it depends what you what you're about to say about her. You could uh, be right. Sorry, you, uh, Caitlyn sorry, Jenner. My apologies, mean. Caitlyn Jenner. Yeah, yeah, Talking yeah. about one of the daughters, no, no, I think. Fine. Sorry, so that threw Jenner. me then. So, Caitlyn Jenner, um, I, to be honest, I don't know much about her. Um, 
fully support her as a trans woman. Great. Fantastic. Good for her. Um, that doesn't mean that I have to support her political views or that I have to support um, some of the, of, of the things that she stands for etc. I can disagree with her. I can even think that she might not be a very pleasant person. Again, I don't know, I'm just using her as an example. Um, she's part of that whole kind of that 1% in America which I find dicey and weird. Um, so I can disagree with that and still and it still be nothing to do with the fact that she's trans. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, this is kind of us setting the scene for the, the discussion because the discussion is going to be about queer romance and speculative fiction but this is kind of like yes we think this is this is where the roots of the argument that all relationships should be portrayed as healthy in fiction come from um yeah but yeah basically the stigma attached to being queer was is has always been such that reclaiming the good gaze of the past inverted commas uh, became essential and, yes. you know, as we've said, people didn't really want to talk about Emperor Hadrian, Ronnie Cray, etc. Um, and it's filtered into how LGBTQ plus are represented in media, mm -hmm. um, combining with already existent problems, which, again, is too much of, too much for us to have the scope to get into in this episode. Yeah. But obviously we take requests, as we've said. So it's like where i'm coming from is yeah i i really do see you if that's how you genuinely feel about it you want to open a book and it happens to have a queer pairing or or more mm -hmm. in there and you just want that to be healthy you know i really understand that i genuinely do yeah and um, uh, it's the, it's the, also the god everything that i've ever seen with queer queer romance so far has just been yeah. problematic and dramatic and you know what i just want to meet cute i can totally understand that as well because by god sometimes i feel exactly the same way not every queer romance needs to be an oscar worthy and then they both you know die and there's lots of weeping kind of thing we could just have something that's you know you know a hallmark <laughs> hallmark meet cute romance <laughs> yeah absolutely um but i mean by that logic you're not allowing lgbtq plus characters necessarily to be yeah. entire whole and flawed people so you're not allowing them to be real um so that's yeah. kind of where we're going to be going with our discussion it's the same sort of logic that suggests that women must always be the hero yeah. or if not they must be a particular kind of villain or you know the same logic with ethnic minorities i know a number of black actors have recently complained that actually they'd quite like to play the villain they just don't want to play this this cartoon-esque black villain but they would like to very yeah. much play a well-written villain <laughs> yeah and you can write very very good i mean um killmonger in um black panther yeah hell yeah what what a villain <laughs> and one that's incredibly sympathetic at the same time as he's utterly reprehensible yeah Though I had some objections with it, but we're not going to talk about that today. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so yeah, that, the, I guess what I'm saying is, is, is a drum that I bang every so often. I probably bang it a bit louder and longer than most people <laughs> really want me to. But basically, we ought to be writing whole, entire, and occasionally messy characters who are allowed to screw up and have flaws. Yeah. And basically, that a pedestal is just as confining as any other small confined yes. space. Yeah, I would agree with you. So, with all that out of the way, <laughs> we're talking about queer romance in speculative fiction, and we're going to try and stick yes. to that level. <laughs> so, yeah, sorry for the brief history lesson. Um, uh, but it does inform a lot of attitudes to gay romance and 
relationships. Um, yeah. um, we're also not talking about the bury your gaze trope. Um, yeah. We have canvassed that before. We're assuming it's a bad trope and we're, we're going to go from there. So yeah, yeah. We're, we're not going to touch that one today. Yeah. yeah. In fact, I'm not even assuming. I'm just saying it's a bad trope. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's no assumption. I just it, we just both think it's a bad trope. Uh, <laughs> but okay. Um, the real discussion is: must all LGBTQ relationships be functional and healthy in fiction? So let's get into it. <laughs> okay. Um, so looking at the dynamics of a relationship, yes. um, without intending to muddy the waters with obvious disparities of power. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're going to assume that any obvious disparities where, let's say, someone is stratospherically more wealthy than the other or um, has access to their employment or to their health care or something, or um, there's a humongous age gap and, you know, one person, you know, technically it's a bit sort of dicey as to whether, as to how much they can, yeah, yeah. you know, we're not, not all of that. So we're looking... Uh, you know, within relationships, there are often imbalances of power and influence yeah. in any relationship. And learning how to balance that is what makes a relationship work. I mean, I, I think most people have at least one relationship in the past where things were a bit, you know, they yeah. didn't work out. And some of that was the fact that you, 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 your first relationship usually is with the one with mm-hmm. the stabilizers attached you've got your training wheels on and you don't really know what you're doing. Yeah. You don't necessarily know who you are as a person. You may not know that in your 20s, 30s, 40s, etc., but you know a little bit more than you did when, say, say yeah, when you are exactly. in your teens, you late do. teens yeah. or something. Um, and it's also important to note that, you know, with regards to, you know, power and, and stuff like that, um, I think it's, to be honest, it's where those ideas of, oh, the the... I know it's usually used for sex, but the dominant and the, the, the sub, you know, the sub, the dom, that's usually a sexual thing. But people do sometimes apply it to yeah. relationships. And weirdly enough, they really apply it to uh, gay relationships because they have the whole top bottom. Oh, which thing. one of you wears the trousers, etc. Which one yeah, plays which the one, yeah. It's like, it's like yeah. there's, there's and, so much wrong then, with that. I can't even begin to explain to you because you don't yeah. even... You don't have the maths. You don't have the baseline. Yeah, exactly. And to be honest, it's meant to be... It it was originally just meant to be, okay, it's a sexual thing, which, to be honest, is not anybody's business, um, except the two or more people who were all consensually having a good time. Um, It's their business only. Um, And regardless of what they're doing, that is not indicative of, of... the relationship dynamic but i think a lot of people kind of apply it and it sort of has become shorthand for the way that characters are written um and portrayed and the way that we also um the way that some people actually project uh characteristics onto real people as well um which i don't think is very healthy um and yes i think actually also in relationships you can have shifting power dynamics particularly if they're shifting power dynamics in different areas so for example you might have someone who um is a little bit older in in a relationship maybe they're they're a year or two older or maybe they're just a little bit more mature perhaps they have a little bit more power in in one sense and you're happy with that you've both agreed with that but perhaps then you have power in a different sense in a different area that's healthy that's compromise um and 
you know, there will be shifts and different people will want and need different things. Um, so do bear that in mind. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, and the other thing that you can have, and is probably the most common imbalance of power in a relationship, is one person slightly cares more than the other. Yeah. And that's not necessarily anybody's fault. It only becomes an issue when one person is is aware and is taking advantage of that to get their own way all the yeah, time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and of course, people show affection and feel affection in different ways. Um, love is a diverse emotion, I think. Um, and obviously, no relationship really makes sense to anybody on the outside of it. No, and which is why it's a very, very bad idea to compare your relationship to other people's unless you feel that you're not safe in your relationship and you're going, hold on a second, do other people get treated this way? Um, but don't don't look at other people's relationships, particularly because you don't really know what's going on in their relationships. You only ever see the people that they are in front of other people. And that's important to remember. Again, as, as we've said, you know, there are always little pushes and pulls within a relationship. And I'm, I'm using the term relationship to mean couple or mm. more people, you know, <laughs> depending on what your setup is. Um, I'm not meaning to yeah. cut anybody out here. Um, okay, so let's look at a few sort of yeah. uh, specific dynamics that have definitely been used for queer romance. And this can be like the the, the side characters or yeah. the you know secondary characters, because quite often people will write a straight yeah. romance for the main couple in speculative fiction. But they more and yeah. more you're seeing secondary characters sort of in the the romance role. And quite often I end up going don't really care about this main romantic subplot but i do care about that one over there yeah absolutely so the first one uh this is one that a lot of people will be familiar with and that's the sweet romance so this involves very little conflict the uh the couple or more um are almost always on the same page you see them that they they kind of sometimes they're they're a bit sort of the power couple a little bit <laughs> to be honest yeah you know they you just see them they're constantly doing things together they say things at the same time um perhaps they have a, a little tiff now and then but it's there's no massive conflict they are just two people who are of a very similar mind and if you start off somewhere within your i don't know maybe it's a massive long series but you start off somewhere in your speculative world and maybe they haven't quite got together yet and they haven't had their meet cute moment or or whatever yeah. it might start off as friendship it might start off with them both being too shy to say anything etc or perhaps they're from um different guilds or something yeah um but yeah it's it's usually a really nice little backstory or side story um while the main thrust of the plot is is going on and generally speaking you don't tend to see any any graphic sex with sweet romance either no no but you might get a a sort of a tentative kiss scene <laughs> yeah. doesn't usually go much beyond that as in the doors are usually firmly closed yeah, on us absolutely it's, it's, it's all okay. very sort um, of the, the... hearts flying in the air heart eyes kind of thing okay then you have the intense romance so there will be some conflict there'll be things that your couple really don't agree on and they have to get over these issues um, yeah. these obstacles um, there's the, the idea that sex and love are very much mixed together which you know isn't a bad yeah. thing necessarily um, but to have one is to want the other with this this type of yes. dynamic usually, um, and it tends to be quite a physical relationship in terms of affection and love, etc. Um, and 
the, I suppose the the intensity angle of it is not not quite the yes I'll die without you but kind of it's very ride or die once they've got together yeah absolutely um and obviously the the intense romance <laughs> has different intensities uh one which is quite popular um is two people who are kind of both massively traumatized um <laughs> yeah. and actually end up sort of being in a codependent relationship yeah um and so you get you get the kind of where they're they're very very sort of yeah i, I think a good example of that is uh the the wicker king yeah actually i mean the, the, i mean despite the fact that throughout the wicker king the two main characters august and i want to say jack i'm pretty sure it's jack and I'm really impressed that I managed to pull those two names out of the back of my head. <laughs> Same. <laughs> Just pause while I pat myself on the back for that. Um, yeah, they are. In, they've got this incredibly intense friendship, and it's been there all the time. They've been through thick and thin yeah. together, and it's kind of Jack. I think it's Jack who just cannot quite admit that actually what he feels for August is a lot more than than yeah. just friendship. Um, and it is intent. It's not entirely healthy the whole time, as you say. There's a very codependent yeah. element in it as well. Um, yeah, and uh, I think as well in that this is something that happens a lot with teenagers, particularly queer teens. And I think it's why queer teens tend to write it a lot, is that queer teenagers who find groups with one another or who find sort of groups tend to form incredibly codependent attachments and friendships. I mean, teenage girls will sometimes do that anyway. Um, and I'm sure teenage boys do it as well, and, and just teenagers in general. Um, but particularly, I think, outcast kids, as as they, as you might call them, or minority kids um, who, uh, who might be having difficulty at home or might not be out or open um, or might feel that they can't speak to their parents or relatives about some of the things they're going through form these incredibly strong attachments and sometimes that is also romance as well which is why i think that this kind of dynamic is actually quite popular with teenagers and young adults and it's why you get it in things like new adult fiction as well i think i'm just trying to think if there's some good examples in adult fiction i'm sure there are generally when you get to sort of the romance angle in speculative fiction in in adult in the adult section it's you've quite often already got a couple mm. that are together or they get together and they're old enough to have had several partners in the past and learned enough and so they don't necessarily throw yeah. themselves in hook line and sinker like um like you would as a teen where you know it's it might be your first love or your first yeah. big romance or whatever and it's kind of like no this is it this is the one thing and you don't realize that actually it's not necessarily the one thing there might be another four one things in your future yeah yeah absolutely yeah um it's an incredibly intense feeling so okay so the next one is opposites attract uh, now this is a couple who have actually very little in common and they may actually have a lot of conflict but they are utterly drawn to each other and I think that it tends to be that there is at their core something which is yeah, similar in one I way know or that technically they weren't written this way originally but 
this one always makes me think of um, Crowley and, and Azraphale. Yes, yes. Um... It's kind of like there are things that you guys just really don't agree with. And yet you can sit peaceably together because you, okay, you've had millennium of doing this. So originally you were probably a little bit more, more stroppy with each other. But you've been doing this for thousands of years now and you still haven't quite got it together. Yeah, and I, I agree in that I think at their core, and they, you know, they say it very, very well in, in the actual uh, book and the series, which is that, uh, you know, uh, if, if deep down you weren't actually a little bit of a good person and if deep down you weren't actually just enough of a bastard to be worth knowing um you know they they are opposites in some way uh, opposites in a lot of ways but at the same time they have core kind of values uh core things that they both care about um and and they get on so yeah it's absolutely opposites attract um but also, <laughs> it, I think this is a version where it's healthy. And sometimes you do have intense versions where opposites attract, uh, like we're on different sides, yet I'm sort of still weirdly drawn to you. I mean, Hannibal, uh, in, in the series Hannibal, the whole thing with Hannibal and Will is very much weird, um, but it, it, that's in a very intense kind of relationship where one of them is you know trying to catch the murderer and the other one is the murderer so <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's kind of like um killing eve as well yeah. one of them's the assassin the other one works for the government and uh, there's this weird attraction and they know they're bad for each yeah. other as in they are literally enemies and yet there's this yeah. pull um which is not no. healthy at all, but it's really fascinating mm, to watch. Yeah. Okay, so um, the settled couple. Now, uh, we were talking all the way through this, and basically all these examples are they're, mm-hmm. they're very mixable kind of variations yeah. on the romance thing. Um, the settled couple, again, this is a different take on the whole power couple thing, whereby um, they've been together for a while and they know each other. And yeah, they might occasionally disagree on things or have outright arguments and one of them might storm off in a strop, you know, as happens yes. in every relationship at some point, <laughs> regardless of um, whether you are straight or queer or whatever. But um, they're kind of there. They're almost yeah. like the bedrock. And well, while you have the stormy relationship between the main, uh, your maybe your, your straight main mm-hmm. characters, or maybe they're not, maybe they are the main characters, but you're kind of just, you know that you're safe there. You're 90% sure they're not going to split up. One of them is not going to die. They're going to get through this together yeah. at the end. There's going to be lots of ups and downs in the meantime, but they are going to get together. Yeah. You know, they'll stay together, etc. Most people find that incredibly comforting at times, and especially if you, you really don't want your queer characters to be um, in an unhealthy dynamic, then... Yeah, you can find there that was, incredibly um, comforting. In, in Dead End Paranormal Park, um, which is, uh, well, we had Hamish Steele, obviously, on the show uh, a few weeks ago. Um, this is his Netflix series. There is this really cute um, lesbian couple who the main character, um, he's, uh, Barney is um, basically in a queue uh, with his crush um and to go and uh, to go and tr- try out a new ride um and there's all sorts of weird things happening at the same time including the fact that barney keeps being possessed while he's in the queue by various characters which 
causes all sorts of disaster, um, including he gets sort of possessed by his own dog, um, by a, a, a girl with massive social anxiety, um, <laughs> okay. and uh, yeah, by a demon. So, um, <laughs> so it's obviously actually things are getting incredibly awkward. Um, in that the the guy he's with uh, logs is just they're like uh, I, you know, kind of getting a bit concerned because he doesn't know who. He's he's interested in Barney, but we we can see he's interested in Barney, but he's very clearly confused by the fact that Barney keeps becoming new people. Um, understandable. Understandable, yeah. And there's this really lovely lesbian couple who are in the queue as well, and they are just like, um, uh, you know, they they're, they're like, oh, it's so nice to see the next generation, you know, uh, of people coming to enjoy this ride. It's been closed for a long time. It was, you know, the first ride that we went on and, you know, they're reliving some of their early dates and stuff like that. Um, and it was, I really, really liked that uh, because it was very sweet. Um, it played into the whole, the whole sweet old couple, you know, who offer, uh, you know, the whole mentor guidance thing. Um, but was also kind of actually touched on that really important part of, of history uh, with regards to... Um, you know, the the fact that when we also tend to think of LGBT people, uh, they're always represented as being young, like, and there's a whole forgotten generation, yeah. you know, that's just kind of been put to the side, like, oh, it's it, like it only just got invented. Um, <laughs> we, we only just suddenly went, oh, yeah, we have been, been doing, doing it for a long while. time. And people have been, you know, obviously together for a long time uh, throughout history. Um, so I, I really, really liked that. And I think it's a perfect example of this kind of relationship. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, there's also um, my next example, the emotionally manipulative romance. So remember at the beginning when I said it's not uncommon in relationships or for most people at one point to have a relationship where one person cares more than the other and that becomes a problem when the other person exploits it to get what they want and you can build on yeah. that until one person is incredibly emotionally damaging yes yeah, yeah. so um, my example is I'm, I'm taking it from my own work um, Harker and Blackthorn um, Amy and Sienna which was not a good choice relationship wise for Amy no, it wasn't. What's interesting is that, obviously, we find out that Sienna has ulterior motives. Yeah. Um, but even at the start of their relationship, you know, when in book one, before there was any ulterior motives, when they both just kind of liked each other, Sienna was kind of in a position of power. And Sienna, I think, was also a little bit jealous already yeah. of Amy. Yeah, there was the professional jealousy angle, which obviously gets worse as, as time goes on. But there's also the thing where Sienna is well aware that Amy is very, very into her, um, more than perhaps she is willing to return, yeah. affection-wise. And she quite likes that. She quite likes knowing who's got the upper hand, and she's not above using it. So you're already starting from that position. And then as time goes on, it becomes imperative for Sienna to keep getting her own way for a yeah. variety of reasons. But a lot of them come down to the fact that, again, Sienna just wants to keep the upper hand. Um, there are outside influences as well. And Amy is aware that she's being manipulative, but she has this thing in her head where she just cannot stop. She cannot quit and let go because she cannot fail. 
she cannot fail at yeah. yet another relationship yeah absolutely um and she's not yeah she's not willing to say actually this is a bad relationship i'm better off without it not until things yeah hit and i think the other crux. thing is that amy because of the events of the first book where amy does blow off sienna a couple of times for quite legitimate reasons um you know murderous yeah. cryptid um and all that jazz um she i think that that's kind of in some ways sets a precedent for the relationship where amy already feels guilty already feels like sienna's bad behaviors are acceptable because amy had her own if that makes sense yeah like she owes her yeah exactly but, i mean i mean the whole emotional manipulation thing can start from really quite small things like someone jokingly saying well if you cared about me you'd do this kind of thing or um just not turning up on time consistently not turning up on time so because you know you've agreed to meet up you've agreed to go on a date or whatever and you know that the person is going to turn up 15 minutes late or maybe they're disorganized or maybe they are constantly giving you this low level message of your time is not as valuable as them you're not as valuable to them yeah. as they are to now you yeah and again right. it's it's worth mentioning the fact that sienna and amy's relationship just because it started and had its wobbly moments wouldn't necessarily have to have been a bad relationship things could have been mended and it's also important to remember that obviously different people different reasons if you are for example dating someone who is neurodivergent um and they're consistently late or they have difficulties with that um, particularly at the beginning of the relationship, that's probably largely to do with the fact that they're neurodivergent and they might be bad at handling the time. Um, it's on them to basically, you know, then try and make adjustments for that, um, particularly, you know, if it's something that is really bothering you um, and you don't have to live with it, um, but it's not necessarily going to be something which is actually supposed to be manipulative uh, people can also be manipulative without realizing it and there is a difference between um being maliciously manipulative trying to actually control someone um and or and or saying the wrong thing um or influencing the way that your partner thinks or feels about something that happens naturally particularly if you're with a partner who's very empathetic um and people make mistakes um the important part and the part where it, it the difference between where it goes into bad territory and where it goes into this can still be a healthy relationship is communication being able to kind of actually address these things um being open and honest with yourself about it yeah absolutely basically if someone makes you feel that their affection is conditional on your continued good behavior that's yeah. an issue yes and they might not be doing it on purpose but if you try to address it with them and you say i i feel like you only love me when i'm doing this that and the other for you i feel like you only love me because of that um and they then get angry at you for that or they refuse to listen to you or to have a, a you know a proper conversation about it um that's when you've got to kind of have a real sit down and think um but people can sometimes just do things unintentionally um people can learn bad behaviors from other manipulative people it's not necessarily indicative of someone actually trying to manipulate you um but yeah, yeah. so i think in the case with amy and sienna what happened was they could have had a healthy relationship they could have patched things up but the problem was that Sienna 
ultimately wanted the job that she had she wanted the power the recognition more than she cared about amy yeah and she kind of wanted amy as almost a pet in some ways yeah she yeah she didn't want an equal relationship no she didn't want an equal relationship she wanted you know uh, yeah someone she could use essentially um and the problem with that is that I think she she did still have affection for Amy, yeah. But it just wasn't, yeah. She, but she didn't actually really care about her, and that's yeah. very dangerous, obviously. Yeah. Okay. Another example: the hot, cold, we can't quit, but we can't make this work relationship. <laughs> um, look, I, I appreciate these ones are, can be really frustrating, um, um, and it's not actually something I've written myself, but. It's the whole sort of one minute you're you're blazing like the inside of a volcano, and the next minute it's it's like nuclear winter. Yeah. And it's not just one person. We're not talking an emotionally manipulative situation. We're talking about a case of you just one zigs when the other zags, and it's con- consistent throughout yeah. the relationship. And yet, there's still something that pulls them together. Sometimes it's the very conflicts between them that lock yeah. people in. Yeah. This is an interesting dynamic, and as you say, it can be very annoying. Um, but it can also be part of a larger plot of, you know, the will-they-won't-they they as well. And it can be tied in with kind of, you know, the enemies-to-lovers sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you sort of see this in in relationships where you think they're just about to get together, and then, I don't know, perhaps they're both from different rival kingdoms, and the duty literally pulls them apart. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one kingdom's all right, and the other kingdom's about to go to war with them. <laughs> and again, yeah. Yes. <laughs> and I have to say, I kind of, uh, that particular hot and cold situation, we can't quit each other. I'm afraid I get mm. to the point where I start scan reading those sections because it doesn't necessarily interest me. When it's interested me is when it's very much personal issues that have um, kept people in this dynamic, and it's their own conflict which has sort of locked them into the relationship yeah i tend to agree with you um i'm to be honest when you have sort of a relationship where it's two people um but they're not actually really getting along i just don't i i yeah i kind of fall asleep to be honest i i don't really find it engaging um but i do find it engaging when or I can find it engaging depending on the relationship when it's two people and there is something there but the obstacle isn't actually to do with necessarily their characters but the position that they're in yeah yeah definitely okay my next example is actually my my secret favorite trope of this <laughs> particularly with, with queer romance and it is the disaster queers yes <laughs> um and again, I realise that some people may not like that term, but it just really fits for me personally. So I apologise. Um, but you're you're looking at, say, the TV adaptation of um, Gentleman Jack, so yes. Anne Lister and Anne Walker, very definitely, um, or Cameron Hurley's uh, The Stars Are Legion, where the main character is absolutely 100% disaster lesbian, and yet somehow, despite being incredibly 
flawed and broken it ends up with someone else who is incredibly flawed and broken and yet yeah. somehow they make um, it work. And I'm not gonna lie I, I like this one as well so this kind of ties in again with the the intense romance um but it's it's also got a very particular flavor um and to be honest I think another yeah. reason that this one is popular is that um I think that a lot of people actually relate to it. They relate to it in terms of the sort of the relationships that they they end up with, um, where they kind of meet someone else who is just as much of a mess as they are. Um, and yet when they're together, actually they can yeah. kind of make it work. They can navigate the world a little bit more. Um, and to be honest, I think that that is something that happens yeah. to a lot of of queer people um because i think a lot of queer people for a number of different reasons some of them sometimes usually to do with the fact that they are queer um and may not be accepted accepting of themselves fully or may not have been accepted by their family have a lot of emotional difficulties or trauma or things like that not all of obviously um but i think a lot of of queer people do so i think that they basically see these characters who are a complete mess and they think feel i'm a complete mess and yet we see here an example of a character who is a mess um but still finds happiness um and it, in some ways it kind of feels realistic yeah and i think that's something unique to the queer romance side of things mm -hmm. because generally if you put mess number one with mess number two what you generally get is a bigger mess yes but with the whole because if, if this this whole disaster persona has kind of got its roots in i'm alone and i'm not really accepted ergo i don't necessarily fully accept myself i yeah. screw everything up if it's rooted in that and then you find someone who is as big a mess because it's rooted in the same sort of things then you can finally see yourself clearly, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So instead, yeah. Yeah, instead of getting a bigger mess, what you get is a, a, like a no man's land where you can start tidying things up. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other thing is that... and Okay, maybe this, this is going to be a few shots fired. Uh, but you get in, in a lot of kind of straight cisgendered kind of romances you get the depressed guy and the manic pixie girl dream she's there she fixes yeah. him by being kooky and weird and maybe she does have a few little problems but to be honest he doesn't actually tend to really help her with those um you know it, it it's very much a kind of balanced in his favor she is the one who fixes him um whereas i think for a lot of of sort of those kind of queer romances instead it's actually about two people supporting and fixing each other and fixing i say isn't actually about right well we make all the problems go away it's we make the problems bearable um and we manage them together uh, we're both in terrible places but actually because we're both in terrible places we both understand what the other one needs um, and again, what can happen is that sometimes in fiction that can work out quite well. They can just be happy. In reality, it can result in very codependent relationships, which can 
be unhealthy. You can actually have periods of codependency, I think, in a relationship and not end up in a fully codependent relationship. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I should say that codependency isn't, okay, well, I'm in a wheelchair and I need someone to help me get out of bed in the mornings or, or things like that. Um, but that's not that's not codependency. Codependency is when your entire things like your entire sense of self-worth um your entire uh, is reliant on someone else or they are the only person whom you can actually speak to um or, or who you can engage with uh putting everything all of your needs on another human being is not a healthy thing to do because they are another human being they will get it wrong that is too much stress for one other person to deal with on a constant level. You need to basically be able to um, manage yourself and to have other sort of outlets and things like that. Um, and so actually what you tend to find in these very kind of, uh, in these queer romances is yes, you will have these two uh, people or more people who come together. Um, they're all disasters. Yeah, definitely. Um Okay, so we'll just yes. very briefly, obviously you can have an outright abusive relationship dynamic as well, whether that's emotionally, psychologically or physically. Um, I'm not saying that I never want to see yeah. this in any sort of romance, in fact, because sometimes there is a place for it. Um, but I don't think I ever want to see it portrayed yeah. as a good thing. Um, I would agree with that, yeah. As in sort of like, well, they only try to control me because they love me kind of thing. When you start making those sort of yeah, it, exchanges no, it, it with yourself. It becomes incredibly then, dangerous um, yeah, and that's not good. very frightening. Um, and also, uh, it's very important to recognise that if you are writing something like that, you know, you can tell yourself, oh, this is just fiction. Um, I just, uh, it's, it's just that it's not meant to be. Think about who you're writing it for as well. Um, yeah, but... I mean, having said that, you can have abusive elements within a relationship that otherwise functions fine. And it's just a case of that relationship needs working on. So we talked about yeah. the Wicker King. There are moments in the Wicker King where Jack physically assaults August. Yes. Yeah. But it's not necessarily a massive disparity of power because they're both sort of of a size and equal with each other in terms of strength. And that August hits yeah. him back, I think. but And then calls him on it and says, no, you can't just do what you want to me. Um it's not great, but it they kind of got to a point where they managed to work the relationship out. Obviously, Jack needed to help yeah. with other stuff as well. And it's um, it's never portrayed as being a good thing, but there was an element yes. of abuse in the relationship um, as well. And, you know, it's also worth noting, of course, that, uh, you know, if you are writing a character who has some kind of uh, illness, mental health issue or things like that, um, I, it's obviously it's important to note that, that people who have things like schizophrenia or things like that are more likely to be abused than to be the abusers. But sometimes uh, you can have bouts of violence in paranoia or things like that. Um, and it's important to recognise, okay, if you have a character who might lash out for whatever reason, um, then are you writing it as an abusive relationship? Um, you know, if they actually say, no, you need help, but I'm not going to stand for being hit, etc. You know, it, 
so as as Jules says, you can have elements in a relationship which are not good, which would count as abusive, um, and still end up actually having a relationship which is healthy, as long as they address it, they're working on it, etc. You can, I think everybody can can have moments where, like I said, with the manipulative elements and stuff like that, um, different relationships are going to have different dynamics. It's obviously not great, but you can have it. Definitely. Um, our final sort of dynamic example is no relationship to speak of, but a series of encounters which may or may not be healthy and they may or may not be sexual in nature. Yes. So I suppose my example here would be, again, Harker and Blackthorn, Rebecca. Rebecca doesn't do romance. She's absolutely aromantic. At the same time, she's also allosexual. So that's an interesting yeah. dynamic. Um, and you know, basically... She doesn't really, she's, a, she's very much a, I like the wine, not the bottle sort of person. So yes, if she finds you physically attractive, you might be in with a chance, but she doesn't really care about gender or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But don't expect to spend more than one night with her. Yeah, and the thing is that she also, you know, she she does form attachments within that, but they are brief, consensual attachments between two people. You know, she can have she can have a good time. There's, you know, there, there was the the book where she she had the fling with the selkie uh, yep although she didn't, she didn't know, know he was, he was a, selkie, a selkie but, yeah. to be fair. Um, but <laughs> you know he he considered her and he was the very much the same he considered her his lover they both parted on very good terms but they had they had something which was you know brief happy but it, it was there it was intense you know yeah, and in book three, she goes home with two of the members of Blood and Chocolate, yeah. who are a functional couple, but were looking to open yeah. things up for that particular night, um, which is something they do regularly. And it, again, it was all consenting mm -hmm. adults. Everyone was happy. Um, and uh, yeah, it was all in good fun. But it wasn't a case of, I'm now presuming upon it, and I'm going to call you tomorrow kind exactly. of thing. It was like, yeah. no, this is just for tonight. Um, because weirdly enough, uh, gay people have one night stands too. Queer people do that as well uh, so yeah so there are lots and lots of different um types of dynamics and obviously within those dynamics you have crossover you have variants um so this is not an exhaustive list by any means at all very briefly we'll just look at sort of the criticism that's kind of leveled at, at these this variety of queer romance um, so basically, we've, as we've yeah. said, it's understandable why people get annoyed when a queer romance is portrayed as less than functional. Um, it's not necessarily realistic yeah. because in reality, all people can be arseholes at times. <laughs> but it doesn't have yes. to be realistic. On the other hand, I personally would like to see a broad spectrum of different types of queer romance. So I believe it's the issue is one of quantity, perhaps, rather than rather than what's included. Um, yeah, so basically what it comes down to is, yes, I, I love a sweet, no-conflict type queer romance. Um, yeah. I enjoy the difficult pairing. As I've said, I love the disaster queers trope. Mm -hmm. um, and I kind of, occasionally, when it's been called for, enjoyed complete fuck-up characters acting like dicks in relationships and somehow making it work. Um, so I said I read Penny Blade recently, which... I can understand a lot of people would not have liked how that character was portrayed. Mm -hmm. um, but I did find it refreshing because she was allowed to be such a complete mess and screw everything up. Yeah. Um, 
so I, I guess that's me. I I would like to see a variety, a wide variety. I don't necessarily want to read a, a straight up abusive relationship unless you're going somewhere with that. Mm. But otherwise, give me wondrous variety. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm 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 in agreement. Um, on the other side, you know, if if you add, uh, you know, if you've got one queer relationship in your book chances are that if you make it emotionally abusive or dysfunctional you're going to annoy people um and i mean that would annoy me if however you are writing a book where everyone is an asshole they're all assholes they're all dysfunctional and two of the assholes happen to be in a queer relationship that's a different kind of thing so for example six of crows let's be fair they're they're great characters they're yeah. all assholes. They're all bad people. I mean, other than... No, actually, to be honest, no, they're all bad people. Um, they're, they're all great characters. Um, yeah. And, you know, they're all relatable. I think we can get behind most of them. But the fact of the matter is, is that they con people. They all con people. Uh, one of them used to help with witch hunts. The one person who doesn't con people used to help with witch hunts, which resulted in people dying. So, you know, they're all not great people. Um which means that when you have a queer relationship within that, uh, which you do, and then you have subsequent more queer relationships in the other, uh, in the sequels and stuff like that, um, it doesn't feel out of place. It doesn't feel like you're making a statement um, that there's only one way, you know, that these kinds of relationships can go and they're never healthy. Um, so that's okay. But if, for example, you had a whole bunch of straight cis couples and for the most part, they're very vanilla. And then you had one gay couple and they were massively abusive or, or, or horrible to one another. Then you've kind of got to you've got to ask, why have you decided to do this? And you've got to accept that people are going to turn around and be pissed off about it, to be honest. If you've just if you're just writing one side couple who are both you know, gay or of whatever stripe, um, you're asking that couple to mm -hmm. bear a lot of representative weight, whether you mean to or not. Yeah. Um, so that kind of brings us on to how we've depicted queer relationships in our books. Um, and I will say that obviously I have a lot more of it in Harker Blackthorn. I wouldn't say that everybody is queer in some way, but most of them are. And it's just that I have probably got quite a few relationships there that aren't they're either fixable but unhealthy or they're not fixable and not healthy um or they're ones where someone does something really really bad and yeah. the relationship ends for a little while and i think the reason i generally get away with it is because it's not one example yes i agree um and i think also one of the reasons and this is very important is that the characters themselves are fully formed and the decisions they are making are not because they are queer or, or anything like that. They're, they're very reasoned decisions based on the characters that they are. So, for example, yeah. Eddie. Now, yeah. from the start... <laughs> excuse me. From the start, I didn't really like Eddie. But I understood Eddie as a character. Um... And I had difficulty with Eddie because I felt that Eddie was actually kind of a little bit manipulative 
and quite selfish. And actually, these characteristics made total sense for the experience that Eddie had been through. Um, now, the experience he'd been through was related to the fact that he was trans, but it, the you know it wasn't that he was emotionally manipulative and selfish because he was trans. It was because of who he was as a person, what he had personally been through, and actually also in part because of the way that Amy had allowed it to happen. They built a dynamic between the yeah. two of them, and because Amy is a bit of a people pleaser, um, she basically... Yep. They developed this, this quite bad dynamic, which was okay until disaster struck. And that's when it, it became very difficult because at this point, Eddie didn't have the the kind of the capabilities to be able to listen to Amy. Um, and this caused a whole, you know, a whole bunch of, of problems. Um, Eddie, however, is still a likeable character and he shows great character growth. Um, and when he does make a very bad mistake further down with regards to his girlfriend Megan, he it is not out of a place of, you know, cruelty or maliciousness. It is completely out of a place of desperate, if misguided, need for her safety. Um, it, it's 100% a thing of love um, and it 100% yeah. ties in with the fact that he is I think at this point quite used to losing people you know um, and this is something that that really matters to him and he will do whatever it takes to protect, yeah. to protect it and the fact of the matter is is that this storyline all of his storyline would have been exactly the same or not exactly the same but would have been largely the same if he was straight um, so, you know, all of these emotions, it's nothing to do with the fact that he's trans, though obviously being trans has tied in with his whole experience. So I think that that's another reason why, um, it, he, he really works as a character. And despite the fact that he doesn't have, uh, that his relationship with Megan obviously goes through a massive bump, um, works. And also because we get to see him grow as well. Yeah, in a... I'm glad it came up like that, obviously. But yeah, I think that is basically what it comes down to. It was never my design to show that because he's trans, he's going to have this relationship issue. It had nothing to do with that. It was just a case of, as you say. Um, and in Summer's Lease, it's, which is Megan's novella, it, a lot of that kind of gets addressed. And mm. you finally, I think, see where exactly Eddie was coming from. So what he did was selfish. Yeah. But it was also... For him, it was a logical move. Yeah. And Megan, when she really understands that, is like, oh, right, okay, I, I get it now. You weren't trying to manipulate me in the same way as the abusive ex I had in the past was. Yeah. It was a different... You know, it's not okay. It's still not okay. Yeah. <laughs> this is not going to ever happen again. Yeah, and the important but, thing um, is that he recognises that it wasn't okay. Yeah. Um, he. It isn't just that it's forgiven and he walks away. It's that he turns around and goes, that was wrong of me. They both understand why it happened. Um, and they can forgive why it happened, but it's important that it never it doesn't happen again. Um, so, yeah. Um, and the thing is that what would have worked is that it would have been perfectly fine if Megan had actually said, no, I want to end this. That was emotionally, that was manipulative. 
and 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 abusive uh, it was a you took away my choice i want to end this that would have been justified um and yeah. it's important to obviously again for anyone listening to this who's been like oh that's kind of been my relationship never ever ever do or or, or get manipulated back into a into a relationship with someone who has hurt you that has got to be your choice and they have got to understand the fact that they hurt you and be making active you know decisions to make sure it doesn't happen again there's got to be a conversation okay um yeah so just bear that in mind um but yeah i think that that's what worked with um with those two um obviously then you have sienna and amy um which was not a healthy relationship and i think that you actually really portrayed that very well it was very uncomfortable to read a lot of the time yeah a lot a lot of people have said oh my god that was so uncomfortable yeah. to read and also a lot of people have sort of messaged me or emailed me and said i've been there i've sat there and had those very feelings so yeah it's always nice when you're yeah. accurate <laughs> um but yeah it, it's not comfortable it's not supposed to be a comfortable read um and you're i think there's a way of portraying a relationship that's unhealthy without having one person knocking yeah. the other person around you know it doesn't yeah. have to go and from zero to ten i think that 10. is also you know a really important thing to remember is that an unhealthy relationship um first of all an unhealthy relationship doesn't isn't necessarily because one person is bad sometimes two people can be good yeah. um and just be very bad for each other um but also an abusive relationship can can sometimes be one that that doesn't involve any kind of physical violence at all um and that's really important to remember and recognize as well Yeah, and I have to just little, little say this here, but sometimes you can get out of a relationship where someone was emotionally abusive and without meaning to, you can then serve up that baggage and that emotional abuse to your next partner who really mm. doesn't deserve it. And if you're not aware of what's going on or you don't get pulled up on it, then yeah. you can end up repeating a pattern that you never intended to enter. So again, it's not necessarily someone's fault, but it becomes yeah. your fault if you don't recognize i mean this isn't supposed to be a hint of what's coming guys <laughs> yeah just... um and it, it's uh, but you know fair warning i think ultimately um the point we're kind of trying to make is that relationships are difficult because they involve two people and and people are changeable and have different moods and different things yeah. going on inside of their heads and they are not always going to be in total tandem with one another um so it makes sense that if you are writing queer relationships yeah, you represent that as well you've obviously got a more because you started off writing more queer relationships with your earlier books than i did mine sort of came in after after around book three <laughs> <laughs> yes um i did though that being said i think that in a lot of ways there are less relationships in the sons of thestian um i mean there are relationships but because i really wasn't writing that much romance yeah uh, we we have obviously rufus uh who likes at this point is enjoying basically just kind of having one night stands with people um 
Rufus is quite intense in that, in that he's one of these people who just falls in love with with kind of <laughs> with a person for the duration of the time that they're together. Um and then it, it's kind of it's over and that's that's finished, that's done. But obviously he's brokenhearted at this point. He's not looking for a relationship. He doesn't want a relationship. Um, he just kind of wants to basically enjoy himself. And he does do that. Um, and that's all kind of, well, I was going to say it's healthy. Obviously, a lot of the things that Rufus does, particularly in that book, and to be honest, in all of the books, is not particularly healthy. He's not very healthy as a, as, as a person. Um, but that aspect is actually quite healthy. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to say, that, that's not a reflection of him being bi or anything. That's just a reflection no. of him being ruthless. Yeah, that's just that he is he is a massive disaster. Um, then that we, must be why I love him, because he's another disaster he queer. He is maps, absolute disaster queer. Um, it's... <laughs> um, you then, of course, have the kind of the more... The, the sort of the more reliable relationship, as it were, uh, in the form of uh, Marcel and um emmerich um though there is there's a there's an age there's quite an age gap between them um and actually what it would be is that it would appear um to anyone who kind of looked on the outside that there would be a massive power gap between them uh because technically marcel is um emmerich's uh master um, the yeah. fact of the matter is, is that they don't, because Emmerich knows what he wants <laughs> at any given time. He's the one who can push Marcel around. Yeah. The two are actually have a very healthy dynamic when it comes to communication and things like that. <laughs> and because they're magi, even though there is a- an age difference of about eight years between them, um, this is actually less substantial because... Um, First of all, uh, Marcel's aging began to slow quite rapidly in terms of his his mental aging as well as his physical aging. Um, When he kind of hit sort of 18, 19, uh, because he started to do more intense forms of magic because he was at the academy um, and because uh, he then became a magi. And of course, the more magic you do, the slower your aging becomes. Um, and it's the exact same thing for Emmerich. Um, so even though they are technically that many years apart, the fact of the matter is is that in terms of mental development and stuff like that, um, they're they're actually very very close in age at this point. They're, they they may be only about three three years apart. Um, and Marcel just seems older because he's he he was born an old man. Um, which you know I relate to. So, Obviously, not an old man. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, and obviously, then we have uh, Boyd. Boyd, who is, uh, I think, Boyd is very queer. He's also obviously asexual, um, which is obviously part of being queer. Um, and so he likes people, but he he just he thought, well, okay, let's give this whole kind of kissing malarkey a go. Um, tried it once and went no <laughs> it's not for me I don't like this <laughs> this is weird <laughs> but he's still you know he, he absolutely um, 
still has romantic feelings and can have romantic feelings and will have romantic feelings that that's all I'm going to say on the matter okay <laughs> yes well okay we basically need to wrap this up now but what do you guys think have we said anything you violently disagree with or violently yeah. agree with or you know somewhat less violent yes. feelings <laughs> Um, you know, uh, do you feel like we've missed a dynamic? Do you have any really good examples of so, sort of some of the dynamics that we've discussed today? Um, please let us know. Remember, you can get in touch with us via our Facebook, our Tumblr or our Twitter, both individually or through the Dissecting Dragons pages. Now, before we go, it is time for Dissecting... Uh, let me try it again. Uh, before we go, it is time for our dissecting dragons recommendation um and this week once again i'm going to embarrass jules uh yay uh, because yay. um i'm pretty sure it's actually the week that this is coming out isn't it yeah um book eight yeah. of harker and blackthorn is going to be released and that is the shadow and the soul and oh my god guys this book this book okay so <laughs> I don't want to give too many spoilers, um, but this is this book has got a, a definitive Wicker Man kind of vibe to it. There's there's a sort of uh, a nod to kind of towards that folk horror, but obviously it's still Harker and Blackthorn. This is the kind of the the pairing book with that that sort of pairs with with book five, uh, which was crowned with bone, where obviously you had them having to perform the ritual uh with uh the the holly king and, and the oak king um on the winter solstice um and this is kind of like now we're on the other the other side you know we are now at the summer and this is an answer to it so we've got a lot a lot of the similar kind of themes coming through um and it's just there's a whole vibe it's so good um i can't I can't give too many spoilers, but there's the cryptid as well. Uh, the cryptid of the book is... It's really good. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I, I'm. if anyone's seen the promotional material, I might have already given away the cryptid, but there's a lot more to it. Yeah, so. <laughs> there's absolutely a lot more to it. Um, I think that there are a lot of people who are going to be very much waiting on this book. Um, it is just quite intense um but some really really important and fantastic things happen in it um it's it's a big game changer i think in a lot of ways um we you know yeah. we see kind of this sort of development um for multiple characters as well including eddie um who I feel really starts to redeem himself in this book. Yeah, he's kind of a hero in this one. <laughs> Not giving any yeah. more away than that, but he... no, no, yeah, he, he is. He's very good um, in this, and uh, yeah, it's just it's really, really good. Highly recommended. Um, and if you haven't caught up to book eight yet, uh, don't worry, um, <laughs> <laughs> but get on with it. <laughs> Um, and there is obviously more coming but uh, yeah yeah I think it's possible that I've been annoying people with a certain thing yeah um, and I promise I will not continue to annoy you one way or the other for very much longer yes yeah 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think there's going to be a a bit of a, a a sort of a rush of relief in some respects. I'm hopefully setting down a pitch. For yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, do check that out. Um, now, uh, I just do want to say before we go. Um, obviously, we were talking about relationships. We did discuss um, abusive relationships in this. Um, if you've listened to any of this and you're not feeling, or you, you've listened to this and you've said, "Hold on a second, this describes my relationship," uh, have a think maybe do some research uh remember we are not trying to say what any kind of person's relationship should look like or wouldn't look like um or what is necessarily healthy for one person versus another but we hope that everybody who's listening is keeping safe and is happy and on that note (laughs) we will say thanks very much for listening guys and we'll catch you guys next yeah thanks and goodbye bye You've been listening to Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast. You can follow our podcast at podbean.com or from iTunes. For more information, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash dissectingreaders or check out our author websites at jaironside.com and madelinevaughan.com. Please note, no dragons were harmed during the making of this podcast.